Good morning again, everyone. I may have written a check with my mouth that I can't cash this morning because I told the other elders I was only going to speak for 20 minutes. And I already said they're going to put me on the clock. So we'll see how this goes. If you're visiting with us the, for the first time, or maybe you're watching our live stream for the first time, my name's Larry Todd. I'm not the preaching minister here. Chris Benjamin normally fills this pulpit, and as I mentioned earlier, he's with the uh, campus ministry group in uh, Florida at the Gulf Coast Getaway. Uh, he'll be back next week in this spot, and I won't, and let all the church say amen to that. <laughs> so how are your New Year's resolutions going? Uh, if you're struggling, if you're keep, struggling keeping them, or maybe you've already broken them, uh, don't be discouraged. That's not unusual. You know, one of the reasons we struggle in keeping these New Year's resolutions is human beings tend to have short times, uh, uh, time frames or time spans, short-term attention span, I should, I should say. And we tend to focus on something else as time passes. We forget what we were focusing on, move on to something else. Do you remember this time last year, one year ago, what was the big deal around here? Do you remember the smell? Yeah, that was one year ago, about this time. So if you're struggling with your New Year's resolutions or you're um, doing something that you said you weren't going to do or, or vice versa, don't be discouraged, don't give up, you're not alone. Before the 1813 novel of the same name, a story which could be titled Pride and Prejudice takes place. It's in the temple in Jerusalem. And it's narrated by none other than Jesus Christ himself. And just looking at this story, it seems to be a simple story about two gentlemen. They're praying, albeit using different approaches. But I mean, the main point, the bottom line is they're both praying, and that's good, right? Well, not necessarily. It, this is a short parable. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes or between the lines, so to speak. The parable, this parable especially, but many parables that Jesus told, context is everything. Context means everything to the story. So we have to understand why Jesus chose these characters and why he did so to illustrate his point in this parable. This parable is easy to understand. It made complete sense to those uh, the audience at that time. And when you understand in the context when it's told, it makes sense to us as well. It takes place again in the temple in Jerusalem and is recorded in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You can read along or just listen. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to, temp to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow 
saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This parable is simple. There's no deep doctrinal theological discussions. There are no, uh, that's often what took place in Paul's letters. There was some deep theological discussion or doctrinal issue. This is a simple uh, parable. There's no contentious arguments designed to set the world upside down, but it carries a very devastating message. It strikes at the core of a spiritual condition that any Christian can suffer then and now. One sense of security in their relationship with God is transformed into personal arrogance, condescension, and self-righteousness. And humility becomes pride. Jesus chose his characters very carefully in this parable. And there are two men depicted, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector, or in many translations, a sinner. Many translations, this parable is known as the parable of the Pharisee and the sinner. They both came to the house of worship. They both came to the temple to pray. But that's where their similarities end. Pharisee, he's described first. Well, who is he? Well, he would be considered part of the religious mainstream. He was a a Jew, and the Pharisees were considered to be the elites, the religious elites. And he was part of that mainstream of Jewish religion. He does things right, by the book, to the letter of the law. He focuses on being right. He knows all the right scriptures. He says that he fasts twice a week. In Leviticus chapter 23, God commanded only one day of fasting every year on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day that Moses came down from the mountain the second time after the golden calf. And that day was forevermore known as the Day of Atonement. It's probably better known today as Yom Kippur. But this annual ritual was to be performed to take away the sins of the people. And during that 24-hour period, the Jews didn't eat anything at all. And they would come together to worship the Lord. But this Pharisee, in his his, uh, desire to demonstrate his zeal and his fervor in keeping the law, he extended that to twice a week. Wow, he's only required once a year, but he's extended it to twice a week. What a guy he thinks he is. He said, I give a tenth of all my income, a tithe, a tenth of all he gets. Tithes in in Deuteronomy chapter 14, tithes weren't due from all their income. It was just due on the annual production of their crops and their livestock, but... The Pharisees had basically extended that to all their, all their assets, their total assets, even assets they had bought. So instead of just giving on their income, they gave on everything. 
And they had improved, in their view, upon God's law. There's nothing particularly wrong with that until, well, we'll get to that in in a couple of minutes. But notice how the Pharisee is focused on himself. I highlighted it in the text as we read it, but five times, five times in two short verses, he refers to himself. I, 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 I'm. His prayer of thanksgiving supposedly to God turns into a prayer of thanksgiving for himself. Basically, he says, God, I thank you that I'm such a good guy. And he recites all the good things he has done, how he'd gotten things right, even exceeding what is required in the law. He went over and beyond what was required. But his prayer is nothing but empty words. No wonder Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus said uh, concerning the Pharisees, he said, you're just like whitewashed or painted tombs. Oh, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and all sorts of, of death and impurity. Then it's the tax collector's turn. Best way I know how to describe a tax collector is he was an independent contractor. He was Rome's agent, but he was engaged in the business of collecting taxes for the Roman government. He was given a quota to collect, but whatever they collected on top of there, that was theirs to keep. It was their profit. And this led to them cheating the people, engaging in fraud and extortion and coercion and abusive tactics. And they basically used their power and their position and their authority to shake down the people. They're just doing it to enrich themselves. And that's why they were hated. And that's why they were considered to be sinners, because they basically stole from the people their own profit. He was labeled a sinner. He's known by more, more by what he does rather than who he is. How would you like to have an occupation like that? How would you like to be automatically assumed to be a sinner? It's almost as if a tax collector was their own special class of sinner. So if he is a sinner, then... Well, what is the Pharisee? The Pharisee basically says, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. So if the parable is about a Pharisee and a sinner, does that mean the Pharisee is not a sinner? Well, in his mind, no, he's not. He's doing what's required, and even above and beyond that. In Luke chapter 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. And he's always represented with some uh, a cute little Bible song or a VBS song. If you remember, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. I won't sing it for you, but you remember it. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Savior passed that way. He looked up in the tree. said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to stay. Oh, he was a short man. And all he wanted to do was see Jesus. He wanted to see him so bad he climbed up in a tree just so he could see him. But he was a tax collector. 
The text says he was very wealthy. I wonder how he became so wealthy. But Jesus calls him down from the tree. And he says, I'm going to dine with you today. I'm going to come to your house, probably a violation of the law, and I'm going to come dine with you. The story ends in Luke chapter 19 with the words of Jesus saying, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew, Matthew was one of the twelve, and in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up, and he followed him. Matthew is a tax collector. Yet Jesus seeks him out. He chooses him. He chooses a tax collector as his disciple. He eats with tax collectors. He associates with tax collectors. The perfect son of God carries on with sinners. Oh, the shame. But Jesus says, I will view you as who you are, not how you're labeled. And if that weren't the case, wouldn't the Pharisee be the only one qualified to be a true follower of Jesus? Unlike the Pharisee, the the tax collector knew exactly who he was. Verse 13, O God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Despite what the world says about him or seeks to define him, he realizes he indeed is a sinner. He's totally dependent on God. In his gracious mercy. And it's no coincidence that in this parable, along with the story of Zacchaeus and the story of the calling of Matthew, it's no coincidence that Jesus uses those that society rejects and reviles and he uses those for his own purpose, even to carry out his mission. So how do we compare these two? These two main characters in this short parable. Well, first of all, look at their stance. Stance is, not more, is more than the physical appearance or their physical attributes. It says a lot about their spiritual condition. According to Luke in, in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself. That was probably an attempt to draw attention to himself. In contrast, the tax collector or the sinner, he can't even face God. Verse 13 says, he stands at a distance. He does not believe he's even worthy to approach God. And further, he wouldn't even dare to lift up his eyes. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And his prayer is very brief and it's simple. He says, God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. They're comparisons. The Pharisee compares himself to the tax collector. I'm glad I'm not like him. He looks down on him. He despises him. He judges him. Views him as unworthy to be in God's presence. In contrast, the tax collector, he compares himself to God. 
And he compares himself to God's standards, and he says, I don't live up to those standards. He says, I'm unworthy. So please, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Third difference is their attitude. Pharisees' attitude was one of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and prejudice. But in contrast, tax collector, he's humble. He's broken. He's seeking God and his mercy, and he's totally dependent. Totally dependent on God. He says, I know I'm a sinner, and God, I'm placing myself in your hands. Just have mercy on me. You know, several years ago, I, uh, a few months after I'd become an elder, I was over at what's now Mercy Hospital. And I'd been on the fifth floor of, uh, of Mercy, and I'd been visiting a member. And I got to the elevator to go back down to the lobby, and also waiting on the elevator was a, a short, thin, older gentleman. Looked, frankly, probably older than he really was. He had that weathered look, you know, leathery, wrinkled skin. Had a gruffy voice, kind of like someone you would expect had experienced a hard life. Maybe been in a scrape or two. And uh, as we get on the elevator, and he pushes the button for the third floor. Um, we're waiting on the doors to close, and I'm, I'm wearing my clergy badge. So I can tell he's kind of looking me over, and he... And in that uh, gruffy voice, he says, you a preacher? I said, no, I'm an elder at the West Ark Church of Christ. I've been here visiting a member, praying with them. Uh, they're a patient here. And he said, well, let me ask you something. What do you think about it when our son's mom is here in the hospital and she's very sick and both of our sons live here locally and they won't even come visit their mama? It's just wrong. They live here close, and they won't even come visit her even one time. What do you think about that? Well, before I could answer, the um, elevator doors opened up, and uh, he's getting ready to step out, and I noticed tears were running down his cheeks. And uh, he says to me, would you, would you please pray for us? I said, well, sure I will, sure I will. And the doors closed, and I was soon on my way. Got a few blocks down the street, and I pulled into a parking lot. I said, you dummy. Why didn't you go pray right now with him? Why didn't you get off with him and go pray right now? I didn't know their names or what room she was in or what floor she was on. And in today's hippie world, I knew that I'd never be able to find out. But I can tell you, I sure felt like a Pharisee that day. And I said, I'd never do that again. Jesus can take the unwanted, the outcasts, the broken in this world. And he uses them for his purposes. And he can redeem any one of us. And he's willing to redeem any one of us. But we've got to meet him. You know, this morning, if you want to begin that walk with him, he's willing to, to meet you halfway. He's willing to meet you more than halfway. 
Because all, all of us can identify with the sinner. All of us can say, God, please have mercy on me. So this morning, if uh, you want to begin your walk with him, you want to be baptized into Christ, we can help you with that. If you have a prayer request, you need some type of encouragement, there will be elders down here. There will be elders in room 100. We'd like to help you in any way we can today. So why don't you come while we stand and sing.